Hello and welcome to The World in 30 Minutes, the podcast on the ideas, events and policies that will shape the world from the European Council on Foreign Relations. My name is Mark Leonard and I am Director of ECFR and I'm very pleased to be joining you from Paris for a special podcast that's looking at the future of France, its place in Europe and how it sees the world. I have two special guests to help us make sense of this huge agenda. First up is Sylvie Kaufmann, who is the editorial director of Le Monde and also a council member of ECFR and a board member of ECFR, in fact. Um, and second guest uh, returning to the podcast is Manuel lafon Rapnoui, who is the director of our office in Paris and a senior policy fellow at ECFR. So, Sylvie, why don't we start with domestic politics. It's been quite uh, an exciting few weeks in France, the launch of a new political movement. Uh, lots of people are talking about the presidential elections. And um, everything seems to be seen through the prism of, our, of, of France's political future. How do you see the situation at the moment? Well, the presidential election is just uh, one year ahead. Uh, one year away, it's uh, probably scheduled for May 2017. And the picture is quite uh, <laughs> blurred, actually. It's, it's, uh, it's intense, but it's not very clear. On the, on the right side, uh, the field is very, very crowded. We have a primary uh, election for the first time at uh, Les Républicains, Nicolas Sarkozy's party. Uh, in, uh, so it's still Nicolas Sarkozy's party for you? It's his party, <laughs> yes. He's, he's the leader of the party. Um, and the uh, primaries in November, uh, and I think there are about 30 candidate, candidates so far. I mean, every day we have a new yeah, candidate. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, really crowded. Uh, Alain Juppé, the former prime minister and former foreign minister, is leading the pack, but um, it's uh, it's very you know it can it can change very much before before November. So there's a lot of uncertainty on that on that field. So who are the main people that people are talking of? Uh, so Alain Juppé is, is ahead in the polls. Okay. Uh, he's followed by Nicolas Sarkozy, who has uh, who is finding it very, very difficult to to get back in the field and to get some popularity back. He's, uh, he launched a book a few months ago to to do that, but that has that uh, that has failed. Uh, and uh, behind him is uh, Bruno Le Maire, who was um, um, who closely worked with a former minister who closely worked with Dominique de Villepin. And he famously and speaks German. He speaks German and English. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's um, very interested in Europe, actually. Um, and he's uh, younger than the Alain Juppé and, uh, and um, Nicolas Sarkozy, and that uh, is helping because this is another thing which we've, we see in this uh, race already that uh, there's really a huge fatigue, fatigue among French voters for the political establishment. It sounds familiar. <laughs> uh, but uh, it, all polls show that people are tired with both Nicolas Sarkozy and um, François Hollande. Now, on, so yeah. just before we go outside Les Républicains, what are, the, are they all old men, these candidates, apart from Bruno Le Maire, or are there any women in the field? Uh, there are a 
you, there's uh, Nathalie Kosciusko-Morissé. She's the one who has the most, because they have to uh, get through uh, some hurdles before they can be uh, formally candidate for the primary. And the one other younger uh, candidate who happens to be a woman too is Nathalie Kosciusko-Morissé, among those who have a chance. And who is she for go. those? Who so she has been a member of the government uh, under Nicolas Sarkozy on several um, um, different uh, issues, but she was she's famous also because she has a very modern image, uh, having been minister for environment. Uh, being uh, quite into new technologies, um, and she has this kind of uh, positioning in the party. She ran for the mayorship of Paris. She wanted to be the mayor of Paris, but Anne Hidalgo was elected. And she, she's not just a name. She's got initials as well, which is quite a good thing. NKM. NKM. Yes. <laughs> so it didn't work out that well for DSK, the last person who was mainly known for his initials. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. are there other ones who we should know about, or are those the main runners and writers? You mean on that field? In, in, in the, the Republican? Republican, I think that's the most, the, these are the most And what are the, it's, obviously one of the dividing lines is, is whether they're men or women, whether they're old or young. Uh, what are the main ideological questions at play? Um, Alain Juppé, for instance, is more centrist than uh, Nicolas Sarkozy. He has more moderate positions on immigration, for instance, uh, and on uh, several social issues. Um, he has a lot working for him. Uh, what is working against him is his age. He's uh, 70. Um, and not exactly a newcomer in French politics. So in this, you know, anti-establishment feeling that really, uh, as for Nicolas Sarkozy, this is playing against him. Um, then, of course, then on the far right, you have Marine Le Pen, who, who is uh, at the moment very silent. She is um, um, pose, she's posing, um, and and. This is uh, very puzzling because uh, you know she's just letting the other, leaving the other actors uh, play and not saying much. But uh, she's obviously a huge um, figure in the background. She, the polls give her uh, almost a third of the votes. So this will be, uh, and you know, it's and it's almost a given that she will pass the first round of the presidential election. So the fight with the Republicans is whether you need to be more like Marine Le Pen and to try and outflank her on the exactly, right, or whether you should go more yes, in the exactly, centre, with Sarkozy is, and Juppé being the two flanks. So where does NKM fit into that? NKM is very uh, against, is very much against uh, Marine Le Pen. So she's, she's more on the Juppé wing. Yes, if you want, yeah. But she's very. She even wrote a book uh, against Marine Le Pen and the National Front. And in the strategy to outflank Marine Le Pen, there are two approaches. One, which is more uh, security and identity based, uh, and the other one, which is more uh, liberal, neoliberal, ultra-liberal uh, economic policies, big reforms, uh, going very strong on that. Uh, François Fillon, who was the Prime Minister of Nicolas Sarkozy, for instance, is trying to push for that kind of very tough reform agenda. So it's a kind of uh, medium term between... So Fillon's the other big name that we left See, off the, the field list is so crowded that I forgot about <laughs> François Fillon. Even though he's is, a former prime minister. Yes, uh, but he's actually 
um, getting better. He was really at the bottom mm. of the race, and uh, in the previous, in the last couple of weeks, he's he's gone up a little bit thanks to new a new strategy, um, um, a, P, a new PR strategy, and new PR aids. So we talked about the Republicains. We talked about Marine Le Pen. Uh, what's happening on the left of the political spectrum? So the big question on the left is whether François Hollande will be the candidate um, of the Socialist Party. He obviously wants to, uh, but he said that he would only run if, uh, the, if unemployment uh, came down, which it stubbornly refused to do so up till this week. Uh, when, for the first time in a long time, uh, the figures, the unemployment figures went down quite spectacularly. So it, it remained to be seen whether this is going to be a, a, a long-term trend or just accidental, but as if you look at the figures, uh, including other indicators, things seem to be looking a little bit better in the French econ economic activity. So that's a big boost for him. Um, and suddenly, <laughs> everybody around him is getting a little bit more excited and saying, well, he may actually finally have a chance to win. But this is really uh, very difficult to say so far ahead. Of course, the, very, the, the novelty in the race on the left, if we can call, still call this the left, is Emmanuel Macron, the dashing economy minister who is very popular abroad, actually, but also very popular in France. He's one, he's probably the most popular figure on the left, I would say. And uh, who creates... And he's less than 70 years old as He's well. young, <laughs> exactly. He's got <laughs> charisma. And he doesn't, uh, he's not afraid of uh, being politically incorrect in terms of where the left stands and where it should stand. And um, he created a movement, but we really don't know what this is. It's definitely not a political party. It's called En Marche, which would be... Um, Forwards, forwards, I think is how okay. it got translated. Except En Marche <laughs> nicely has the same initials as Emmanuel Macron, which wouldn't That's work true. with the uh, English <laughs> translation. <laughs> and got everybody excited, uh, but... You know, we don't know yet what this is. Uh, it's it pretty created... unprecedented, though, for a serving minister to, to create a new political movement uh, within the party. Why did Hollande let him do it? That's a good question. Well, which is precisely why it's not really a political party. Mm -hmm. And also it has to be said that um, he was not a politician before he became minister. He was a civil servant and then he was a banker. And then he was an advisor to Hollande uh, within the president's office. So it uh, is something different, which is probably why uh, there is this kind of traction that Sylvie was uh, talking about. Um, because, because of the thirst for renewal, there is interest in, can he bring something different? And so he will definitely try to do things differently if he really has the kind of ambitions that people talk about these days. So what happened to the, because, you know, the last time that there was lots of excitement about a new political figure on the left, it was Manuel Valls, who's now the prime minister, who was also relatively young compared to a lot of people on the political scene and was seen as a breath of fresh air. Mm -hmm. He's now been out-novelted by, by Macron, but um, 
the speculation a couple of years ago was whether he would run for, mm -hmm. to become president. Well, first of all, will will François Hollande run? Yeah. And I think, you know, I, today I would say at this stage he will. Uh, so that means Manu neither Manuel Valls or probably Emmanuel Macron uh, have a chance this time. Uh, Manuel Valls, interestingly enough, and Emmanuel Macron are quite close politically. They're both on the centre-left. Um, but they are very different personas, very different personalities. And I must say what is probably difficult now for Manuel Valls is that uh, Emmanuel Macron has more charm, I would say, or more charisma. But um, so far, they kind of they are looking at each other, and we'll see what happens next. So this could be the next big p political battle um, after this election. Yes, or personal battle. Right. So what about on the 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 left of the left? Because um, one of the problems that uh, happened in was it 2002 when Jospin failed to yes. get through to the second round? Was that too many of the left-wing voters went for, uh, you know, the former Communist Party, the Green Parties, and the kind of gaggle of parties on the the gauche plurielle, I think is the, yeah. the phrase that Chevènement des radicaux. Mélenchon. Yeah. Are they so, all going to run this time? So there's there's an attempt by the left of the Socialist Party to organize primary election because they are dissatisfied with Hollande, so they want to challenge him, uh, to, to oblige him to go back to a more left uh, uh, position. Um, and, but they don't want to do that by doing what uh, those uh, gauche pluriel candidates did in 2002, which is being officially a candidate at the election, and then you just uh, sprinkle uh, the, the left votes all around, and you don't manage to qualify for the for the second round. So the, the idea of the left of the Socialist Party is to organize a primary um, to try to do that without opening the risk of uh, dividing the left at the first round. But obviously, uh, at least in the French um, environment, if you're the uh, incumbent and uh, the incumbent president, you don't go to a primary to uh, risk the, your ability to be a candidate. You just say, I'm a candidate and you run. So it's very hard to see how that primary strategy will, uh, will work for the socialists. So there is a risk indeed that uh, other candidates uh, on the left try to say, well, we, we don't like that version of the left and uh, uh, lost for lost, so let's at least try to uh, prepare some uh, kind of a reorganization, reconstruction of the left. And uh, Mélenchon will try to do uh, his thing. He used to be allied with the Communist Party, but they are now uh, not in the best terms, so there may be also a communist candidate. There might be an ecologist candidate. Um, there might be a, a radical party candidate, um, like uh, Christine Taubira, uh, who was the justice minister until uh, a few weeks ago. Um, and and there, might, there may be uh, some others. So if you put all of that together, essentially what we're talking about for the elections is one of three scenarios that happen. So one scenario would be that um, you get uh, uh, Marine Le Pen and um, Alain Juppé or 
uh, going through to the second round and the left kind of splits and um, and you then have a kind of 2002 situation where a lot of centre-left voters have to vote for the for the right-wing candidate. Which they will if it's Alain Juppé. Um, another scenario would be that um, uh, something happens to Marine Le Pen um, before then and that you end up with the two mainstream parties going through to the next elections um, with, you know, whoever, Hollande or somebody else, if, uh, if it's not Hollande and Juppé potentially going through to the second round. Uh, the third thing would be uh, Marine Le Pen up against a, a left-wing candidate. Mm -hmm. Of those, are there any other scenarios? Do, do, do you think it's possible that there'd be more than two candidates on the left or on the uh, on the right running? For example, Macron running against Hollande, or no. Sarkozy running against um, no. No, Juppé. I, no, you, you may have smaller left-wing candidates and, and and smaller right-wing candidates also independently. Yeah, but not not one of the big names. Emmanuel Macron will not run against Hollande, Manuel Valls will not definitely, and I cannot see Sarkozy running against Juppé or the other way around. And one of the other things that people have said is that, that Macron's positioning himself so that he could end up being Prime Minister either for President Hollande or for President Juppé. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, that, that's an option, especially if uh, Juppé is on the second round in front of Marine Le Pen. They may try to go for a kind of national unity, trans-party uh, um, platform, and that would definitely be very difficult with the Socialist Party on institutional terms, but with figures from the left, that might very well be the case, and, and Macron qualifies for that. So what do you think is the most likely of the three scenarios? Sylvie. I think uh, uh, I'm pretty sure Manu uh, Marine Le Pen will be in the second round. Yeah. Uh, it would be very, very difficult to unseat her at the first uh, round. Um, but I cannot see her winning the presidential election. So who do you think will be with her in this, the second round? This is the third. Uh, I would say it's, it will be... At this stage, uh, I would say it will be Alain Juppé, but a lot can happen in a year. And you see, uh, Hollande, François Hollande was was given as uh, gone last week. He is, yeah. And he's back this week. He's like so. a vampire. He comes <laughs> back. Uh, what about you, Manuel? Um, on, on the last World in 30 Minutes, I made a bet on the, who will be the next UN Secretary General. <laughs> but on the French election, I can't really make one. I die. If I try to rationalize, I agree with Sylvie, uh, but I'm, it's very hard to rationalize when there is so much time and so much that can happen. That's, that's still a very long way. You don't know what will happen in the British referendum in, in, in nine weeks, so how can we know what will happen in a year time? I, I, made a, I don't know, but I'm, I'm predicting that Britain will vote to stay in, so Manuel, we need to have your prediction even if you revise it between now and the... I will definitely revise it. No, I, on, on a very <laughs> rational uh, trying. If, if the election takes place now, yeah. I think uh, it may very well be uh, Marine Le Pen and Alain Juppé at the second round and uh, Alain Juppé winning. Okay. All right. So that leads us to the, the European uh, theatre. Obviously, um, uh, Europe is in a major state of flux at the moment. There's a referendum uh, in the UK. The refugee crisis has created a lot of domestic 
political tension in all sorts of different countries. You've just seen the presidential elections in Austria with a far-right candidate coming forward. How does it look from France? When you look out from Paris at the, the EU at the moment, what does the French political establishment see? How do they feel about the nature of the European project and where do they see France's role within it? How are the different big relationships going? CB, do you want to have a... I That's think, good. you know, it's very difficult to have the big picture uh, at the moment from Paris. Uh, it's difficult to concentrate or to focus on, a, on the big European project because we have so many crises uh, in front of us and they are all so difficult to solve. But at the same time, there's a paradox, which is that all those crises need Europe to be solved. So... Uh, actually, we hear a little bit less of the Eurosceptics at the moment because uh, on the refugee crisis we have to work together, on uh, terrorism we have to work together, and we can see at the moment, you know, we, with Belgium and with the uh, other um, uh, um, uh, governments how we have to get really closer on sharing intelligence and all these issues. Um, on what what other crisis are we are we facing? It's, it's well, it's really, still the, the euro mm -hmm. crisis hasn't yeah. totally on Brexit, of course. Yes, the euro crisis. So anywhere you look, you have to deal with your European partners. So um, you know, in, in a way, it's uh, all all those crises. I think paradoxically are helping us. But how does France feel about its role? Because you know. Um, Germany and the Franco-German relationship was, uh, you know, been going through this profound change for a long period of time, and, and that's been one of the big things I always notice uh, is at the top of everyone's agenda whenever I'm here. Is kind of reflections on on how this imbalance of power is uh, is is kind of working, the ideological differences between the different countries. I mean, who does? Who does France look to as its allies in this period? Because you've been through periods like the Mercosy period where France hugged Germany close. Then there was a kind of brief attempt in the early Hollande period to, to form a bit of a southern alliance against um, uh, German hegemony um, on uh, fiscal questions. Uh, now, with the refugee crisis, France is in a bit of an odd position because you're not really uh, at the front line in the way that Germany is, but you're also not part of the refuseniks like, um, you know, Poland or, or Hungary. What is striking, I think, you, you asked the question um, pointing to what the establishment think. It's striking that there's a big complaint by the establishment, uh, whatever that means, uh, about uh, Hollande's European policy, or better uh, where to put it, the lack of uh, European policy, the lack of European commitment. There is within uh, elites a sense that he has not really put a lot of energy and uh, political capital in it, and that's, uh, that's a big thing that is lacking uh, in, in his um, record. Uh, but if you look at what the uh, public opinion says, um, well, Europe is not part of their priority and they're not that much convinced that uh, Europe is really uh, the way out. I, I would agree on a personal basis with what Sylvie say in terms of all those crises are, uh, require more cooperation rather than more uh, isolation and therefore uh, they should help us in moving forward. But that's not really how the broader public sees it. 
and um, most of the political class is rather trying to follow the public uh, rather than trying to say, well, to address your concerns, actually I have a project with a way out, but it takes more European cooperation. Um, Juppé is trying to build a platform on those terms, but he's very cautious about it because the rest of uh, Les Républicains is really not in that mood and he's not sure that that will be uh, very uh, well perceived by the voters for the primary. And uh, as I said, that's not really um, uh, Hollande's uh, primary uh, focus either. So if, if you are in that situation, that makes your question about who are the allies, who are we looking to... Uh, uh, a bit uh, different in terms of uh, context. But if there's someone we are looking to, it's still Germany. Uh, it's just we're looking to them, but I'm not sure we are doing a lot with them. And what we are doing is more defensive, reactive, crisis management, last-minute kind of deals, rather than really trying to push for a bold agenda and, uh, and trying to uh, have a, a su substantial deal. Yes, I agree. One of the crises I forgot to mention earlier is uh, the tax evasion and uh, what we saw with Panama Papers. The reactions to the Panama Papers is very interesting because you had Michel Sapin, uh, the French finance minister, and Wolfgang Schäuble, the, his German colleague, saying, op colleague saying opposite things. So uh, there we are, you know. Uh, they, uh, what were they saying? Well, Michel Sapin said we have to protect... Uh, uh, whistleblowers and we have to uh, take action to uh, um, uh, fight against this tax evasion and Schäuble was much more cautious saying you know this is, uh, I, I don't remember his exact wording but it was definitely a very very more a very very um, cautious line compared to to some other European partners. Um, so, you know, the Franco-German relationship is still seen as central, of course, in France, but we, and, and Hollande and Merkel are seeing each other a lot, but, you know, we, what we find out from time to time is that they have dinner together and the next day, the following day, uh, Merkel goes to Turkey alone and, and, and Hollande did, uh, doesn't know about it. So, um, there, there's a really, urgent need to relaunch this engine. Uh, how to do it? Well, <laughs> uh, Manuel uh, and uh, With the, the head of the Berlin office, Josef Janin. Yes, have made interesting proposals and uh, it would be wonderful to see our governments uh, following up. We'll, we'll put a link to your brilliant article, Manuel, uh, up on the website, www.ecfr.eu slash podcast. But if you want to give our listeners a preview of some of the ideas. So very, very succinctly, the idea is um, Germany is uh, faced with the uh, refugee crisis and expects some solidarity from its uh, European uh, fellow partners and is not that much pleased with the, the solidarity that it sees. Uh, France uh, is very much more focused on the security crisis, terrorism, and expects some solidarity and has been requesting it too. And I'm not sure there's a huge lot of satisfaction on the French side either. And that would have been in the past a key 
uh, opportunity to bring solidarity in the center of the table and have, as I said, a substantial deal where we say, well, we both want solidarity, we both expect something from each other and from the rest uh, of uh, the uh, EU membership, how can we move forward on that? And the way it has been dealt with is not at all that cooperative. It's much more, um, uh, how would I put it, uh, uh, low profile rather than both. So um, you've kind of naturally taken us into the, the third kind of big topic which we wanted to kind of talk about, which is looking out from Europe at the rest of the world. Um, we mentioned some of the kind of issues um, already, the, the whole question of, of terrorism and uh, the fight against terrorism after the attacks in, in Paris and more recently in Brussels. Um, there's also... Uh, the whole question of Russia and um, how to deal with uh, with Crimea and the, the Minsk process and Sylvie you've been watching that very closely both with your Le Monde hat on but also you spend some time in uh, quite a lot of time in, in, in Eastern Europe and in Russia and have been looking at it very closely there as well but um, there's obviously the whole question of Syria where France has been quite an active uh, player how do we see French foreign policy kind of moving forward and what are the European elements of that because you were Manuel you talked also about the idea of European solidarity when the Paris attacks happened there was an invocation of article 42.7 which was the, the European solidarity clause and I don't think that um, people were necessarily that impressed by uh, the level of solidarity that they got. But, but maybe um, I should... Okay, well, maybe you can... I think it was... It, the expectations weren't huge, but as far as the expectation went, I think the result was more in the uh, high spectrum uh, of it. So what, what were the main things that, that people got? But the thing is, what, what I would say about that is that I, I very much regret that this is still European solidarity with France to attend French interests or French security concerns instead of us having been able to frame that as European solidarity to defend and protect European interests. It was very bilateral. It was a close of the uh, EU treaty, but then it was dealt with on a very bilateral uh, way, and it was very much framed into a we need solidarity for our security interests on a national basis instead of we need to have collective solidarity because we are collectively hit and there's something collective that we ought to do to respond to the threat that is a concern for us all. Uh, you know, the, the weeks ahead and the months ahead are going to be very important in this respect because, of course, we have this huge question mark of Brexit, of the referendum. And this affects France, of course, in the security um, dimension, uh, very much so. And, and I think Obama's speeches the, this week in, in, and last week, uh, both in London and in Germany, uh, have been very revealing in this respect. It's, um, um, there's this feeling, the, the necessity that we have to close ranks um, you know, and France, of course, feels that it has this leading, I mean, leading, uh, this <laughs> leading role maybe in Europe in, in the security field. Um, but we have Russia, you know, uh, we have America uh, present, uh, emphasizing the, the, the growing threat of, of Russia militarism. And uh, we have the NATO summit ahead in July. 
Um, so this is going to be, for France, this is going to be, I think, another defining time. Okay, well, that brings to an end a really interesting discussion about a country which has been at the heart of the European project, but which feels like it's very anxious about its own future and the continent around it and the world around that. And uh, we're going to obviously see domestic politics fused with foreign policy and international issues over the next year. And I'm sure we'll be coming back to a lot of the things that we talked to today. Um, we will put links up to both Manuel and Josef Janning's uh, article, but also we'll put up some links to some of the brilliant columns that Sylvie has been writing, not just for Le Monde, but she also writes a, a monthly column for the New York Times, uh, International Edition. So we'll put some links up to that, as well as, well as to some of our other publications, uh, particularly the views from the capitals where Paris uh, is a regular uh, contributor. Um, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please uh, rate us on iTunes, uh, leave us some comments, review us on SoundCloud or MixCloud as well, tweet uh, the link to this episode, put it on your Facebook page, tell the world uh, about it and write to us if you've got any comments. My email address is mark.leonard.ecfr.eu. But from Sylvie Kaufman, Manuel Lafont-Rapnoui and myself, Mark Leonard, it's goodbye for now. The researcher of ECFR's podcast is Ulrike Franke and our editor is Katarina Botel-Atzinaro. <laughs>